I'm Rob Freeman, president of Kane Brothers. During this unprecedented and disorienting time, the team at Kane Brothers is conducting weekly interviews with leaders from throughout the healthcare industry for this special edition Industry Insights series. Our goal is to provide you and your organization with a wide array of views on the multifaceted dimensions, challenges, and responses to COVID-19. Transcripts are available on the Kane Brothers website. Please share your feedback with me or any of your Kane Brothers contacts, and thanks for listening. Uh, hello, I am uh, Karsten Byte, a Managing Director and Co-Head of Health System M&A at Kane Brothers. Uh, today, I'm speaking with Terry Aiken, uh, President and CEO of Cone Health, a $2 billion health system based in Greensboro, North Carolina, and one of the nation's leading-edge value-based healthcare systems. Uh, Terry, thank you for taking the time to, uh, today to speak with us regarding COVID-19 and your perspectives as CEO of Cone Health. My pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity, Karsten. So to start, uh, I'd like to get just your overall perspectives on where Cone stands today to, in the healthcare crisis and, and your response to uh, COVID-19 generally. Yeah, so needless to say, for the last, uh, last few weeks, um, the level of intensity around our organization has been very high. Um, we are uh, working on trying to be a resource to uh, our elected officials at the federal, state, and local levels uh, to, to try and help them remain as fact-based and science-based as possible in the decisions that they're making, uh, many of which have a direct bearing on the spread of this virus and containment of this virus, the flattening of the curve, as most would say. Um, and then simultaneously, um, all kinds of operational needs and challenges and imperatives uh, as we care for uh, infected COVID-19 patients and prepare for what we expect to be a, a surge or a peak uh, that, that's likely to come later for our state and, and for our region. Um, so everything from all, you know, the, the basic issues you've been hearing about, um, masks and PPE, uh, testing supplies, testing turnaround time, um, uh, how to deal with, um, you know, concerns from the community and how to, how to continue to message to the community, how they can help us, what they can do to help us. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been a major undertaking. I will say, I think we've got a great culture within Cone Health. We have, um, some time ago really been intentional about creating leadership as a team sport. Um, while we work carefully to coordinate and communicate. Uh, we don't have a lot of leaders who, uh, who uh, walk around uh, asking for a lot of per permission. Uh, we, we empower people to, to, to act. And um, uh, I think that really has served us well because there's so many issues and uh, factors that need to be dealt with right now. Having that sort of team-based leadership serves us well. Terry, as you mentioned, uh, North Carolina and Greensboro more particularly have uh, not yet been uh, hit uh, hard as other parts of the country, and it sounds like you're expecting that surge. Uh, can you just describe some of the, you know, operational challenges that have arisen for you even now in, in the absence of kind of an, uh, a broader surge? Sure. So we're trying to be very careful with respect to use of PPE and supplies, which are, uh, are limited. Uh, we're accessing every possible resource we can find. In fact, I've 
I've frankly, as CEO of the health system, become much more of a creative supply chain sourcing expert than I ever intended to be. Uh, and, and that's been an adventure unto itself. But um, really trying to balance the short-term needs, uh, practical needs, um, science-based needs to protect our people, and also attend to their to their psychological and emotional sense of safety. Um, mindful of the fact that people really feel secure and want a universal masking protocol, and we've been able to move to that, but also conscious of the fact that every mask we use today uh, or every, uh, every supply we use today uh, is a supply we won't have if and when the surge hits. And I think that really describes probably the biggest operational dilemma that uh, most health systems around the country are facing right now. How have payers, other providers in both the state and local government uh, reacted in, in North Carolina? Uh, I think there's been a, a strong desire to help. I think there's been um, a fair amount of forbearance from payers. Um, you know, frankly, I just think a lot of us were, um, were um, uh, not as prepared proactively as in retrospect, I, I wish we could have been, should have been. Uh, but I think that there is uh, there's a widespread ethos across all the entities that you named that we really need to put our communities first. We really need to put uh, our patients first, and uh, in many ways, we'll we'll kind of sort out the uh, the uh, the payer and the financially related issues um, uh, later and 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 as we go. Um, I know you've been very passionate about the step the state needs to take uh, to reduce the impact of COVID-19. Can you describe those efforts and uh, what you've accomplished so far in North Carolina? Sure, I, I've been very vocal um, about the need to pay attention to the scientists and the clinicians um, and heed their advice, which is born of a lot of experience, observation, nationally and internationally. And I mean, let's face it, the, the infectious disease physicians and epidemiologists, these are people who study pandemics for a living. And early on when they were advising us that we really had a chance or that our best chance to stem the spread of infection, to limit fatalities and to prevent overwhelm for our hospitals and health systems was to implement these, these uh, shelter in place or stay at home orders. That's a cause that I took up uh, and it has not been without its challenges and I certainly understand those challenges. Um, it has a, uh, a tremendous impact economically. I feel for um, businesses and uh, particularly smaller businesses that are struggling at a time like this. Uh, and, and so I, I do think it's got to be a both and kind of conversation. That said, it, I, I, I believe strongly and passionately that we really have to take the advice of, of the scientists uh, from the federal level on down who are saying that, um, uh, you know, staying at home, um, limiting social interaction to reduce what has become clear is an exponential level of potential spread of this virus, uh, that, that those, are, those are mission critical steps. And uh, while we're enduring the, the, the pain, the economically and from a business standpoint, it's hard to keep your eye on the ball. You know, when, when you start to have an impact, when you start to flatten and shift the curve as it were, 
people start to believe, well, we, we really didn't need to do that in the first place, or see, I told you. Uh, uh, and, um, uh, you know, it, it's as if, uh, you know, pointing to the flattened curve uh, as evidence that we shouldn't have gone through all the trouble to flatten, the, flatten it in the first place is one of the conversations that we're that we're having to deal with, but but I think we you know we do have to deal with a very real issue of economic impact and how do we balance that against uh, what the scientists are telling us about the the need to contain and and stem the spread of this highly contagious virus. Uh, how uh, how many COVID nineteen patients have you had, and have you had a significant uh, has there been a significant impact on your employees and have your employees? Uh, Tested positive, and what's what's sort of the, the that is on the ground there? Yeah, so that's all uh, obviously uh, clinically and operationally things that that we that we concern ourselves with. Um, uh, we have I don't know what the total number of in hospital patients we've had uh, over the course of uh, the the pandemic, uh, but currently today I believe we have upwards of thirty patients in our hospitals that are COVID-19 confirmed, um, probably uh, a little over half of those are actually in our ICUs, and then the majority who are in our ICUs are on ventilators. So we've got some, we've got some sick people, and um, we've actually, within Guilford County, where we're located, we've had 11 deaths so far that are COVID-19 related, uh, and um, a lot of those, well, Virtually all of those have been older folks uh, over the age of 70 who uh, were vulnerable and had multiple co comorbidities uh, to begin with. So, again, we're we're managing a fair number of patients and we're trying to equip ourselves for what we expect to be an even greater surge of patients. Uh, our project, best projections are probably in the May to June timeframe. Uh, with respect to our employees, we're being very careful to screen our employees. Uh, you know, each and every day we have had some employees um, uh, confirmed, others have, because of limitations on testing, not, not even been tested, but sent home to quarantine and, and, and treat symptoms. Um, I'm only aware of one employee who unfortunately has become uh, uh, critically ill related to, uh, to, to COVID-19 and is among those we're caring for in our hospital to date. But, Something we all have to be very, very mindful of, and and continue to focus on. Yeah, well, best uh, best wishes to uh, to that employee, and and obviously all all the patients. Uh, Thank you. A little bit about the demand for uh, COVID nineteen testing are you, uh, that you're seeing, and and your ability to fulfill that demand. Yeah, that's a major issue. Um, one of the concerns that I've had, quite frankly, is. I believe that at the at the state and national level, we're over we're overly focused on quote unquote confirmed cases. I think the number of confirmed cases dramatically understates the prevalence and the existence of the virus in our communities, um, and, and that is because we have been very limited uh, in our our testing capabilities and in the turnaround time for for tests. Now, there, there are some exceptions. There are some um, uh, larger health systems or academic centers or, or others that sort of by the luck of the draw had some of the right testing platforms and uh, supplies and equipment already on hand. Um, others like us weren't, weren't so lucky. We've really had to wait for manufacturers to, to kind of catch up. 
But what, what that's resulted in is a high degree of variability in testing prevalence across the state. And uh, organizations like Cone, and I believe this is in keeping with some CDC guidelines, because of limitations on testing as a practical matter, up to now, we've largely only tested people who were deemed to need hospitalization. Um, others who were symptomatic and who were identified either through their physician or e-visit or through other types of screening generally are not tested but are sent home, told to quarantine and, and treat their symptoms. Um, and so um, as a result, the confirmed tested cases, uh, we believe, are, are dramatically understated. And that, that creates some confusion in the public. Uh, for example, in the Triangle, we have some academic centers, one in particular, that's been able to, um, to, to test at a much higher rate. And so, as expected, they have a much higher number of confirmed cases. Uh, but what I'm trying to emphasize to people is that that really shouldn't be the comparative denominator because of the variability in testing. The real comparative uh, data, we believe, are numbers of deaths, numbers of patients actually hospitalized, and numbers of patients on ventilators. And if you look at that, on a per capita basis, uh, Guilford County uh, is, is unfortunately uh, 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 leading the state. And so we're, we're trying to be mindful of that. We're trying to deconfuse the public and deconfuse public officials as to how to look at that. Um, so that's one challenge of limitations uh, of testing. We are increasing our capabilities. We do have more and more uh, rapid turnaround testing coming online and we're actually consulting with and, and collaborating with the state and the county as we speak on how we can actually broaden our testing and go out into the communities and try to be more proactive in identifying the virus uh, in less acute forms so that we can, can have some targeted containment and, and hopefully stem the spread that way. Interesting perspective. Um, in addition to, let's call it testing uh, capacity, um, what additional resources are you trying to secure to address the expected surge in patients in the coming weeks? Well, you know, it's a lot of the basics that you've been hearing about uh, uh, personal protective equipment, namely masks, and uh, in particular, the, uh, the N95 masks, which are like gold and uh, very hard to come by in short supply. Um, there's a lot of um, uh, really challenging dynamic out there you know, everybody seems to know somebody whose brother uh, knows somebody who's got access to a supply of masks. And uh, we've, we've learned the hard way several times, especially if those are masks coming from China, to be very, very careful uh, uh, with our money and, and with our expectations, because a lot of, there are a lot of scams, just to be blunt, blunt about it. And even stateside, there's a lot of, um, there, there are a lot of sellers and resellers and agents and and, uh, you know, examples that we've had where we had a confirmed order for a large number of N95 masks that then were sold out from under us to a higher bidder, apparently. I mean, it's just really kind of crazy and, and, and really very frustrating, to be honest. So uh, I would say that's just a very um, um, important and critical core challenge. Those masks, um, other low, lower level masks to continue to enable universal masking among our staff. Uh, gowns, face shields, those are all just, you know, mission critical things that are in, in short supply and, and uh, we're sourcing those through every creative means that we can find, including through some local manufacturers. You know, our community 
uh, communities in this region have really stepped up. We've, we've had a fair amount of manufacturing and, and some of those folks have retooled to really help us with uh, with masks and face shields and 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 even uh, even ventilators. I mean that's another area where depending upon the um, the surge and the and the degree of the surge, uh, we we could uh, we could outstrip our ventilator capacity. So actually working with local manufacturers to uh, to come up with more ventilators, to come up with acceptable ways to uh, perhaps treat multiple patients on on a single ventilator. These are all things that we've that we've been working on and, and, and focused on the testing, as I mentioned, and accessing um, uh, testing supplies as basic as the, the, the sampling swabs and, and the transport media that, that are that are used to actually transport the samples. Those have been in short supply and, and challenging to source. And then, uh, as I alluded to before, accessing means through which to get rapid turnaround. Uh, for a while, the, the, the fastest turnaround we were getting on, on our tests through outside uh, referral laboratories was five, seven, even nine days. And uh, the problem with that is as those patients are in the hospital awaiting results, uh, we're burning through masks and PPE caring for them, not knowing if they're infected or, or, or not. So it just kind of compounds the problem. But we are, we are starting to make some headway in terms of testing um, uh, rapid turnaround availability. And as I mentioned before, we've gotten some good support here in the last day or two from the state toward that towards that end. But but those those are the things that I would say are are, are sort of most acute around um, uh, the, the the operational supply related challenges that we're dealing with. Thank you. Can you elaborate a little bit on what the what the state is doing? Uh, so the state is is doing everything they can to be supportive. They have in collaboration with uh, the federal government, a certain level of, um, of stockpiling of supplies that we're able to access, although it is, it is very limited. Uh, this mythical sort of stockpile, as I think you probably have heard in the media, really d does not exist any, to any large degree, but, but they are helping us with supplies. Um, they're helping us with some coordinated um, uh, data collection to understand across the state you know, where really are the hot spots and where do we need to prioritize help and support. Uh, the state is obviously working with our counties uh, from an epidemiological standpoint to try and especially now that we've got better testing capability coming online, uh, trying to support us in taking a more epidemiological approach to, uh, to understanding the degree of the spread of the virus and contain it. Thank you. Um, Terry, we've got just a, a few minutes left. Uh, just a couple other questions. Uh, you know, obviously, in addition to taking care of patients and all of the clinical dimensions that that implies, um, how are things going just financially and operationally? Uh, what's happened to your volumes? How are you, you know, how are you managing through this uh, this crisis on on that front? Uh, Karsten, it's a huge, unprecedented impact for us. As I, and I think that anybody who does what I do for a living that you could talk to around the country would say exactly the same thing. Um, you know, when you take an organization, even an organization like ours, which as you know, is pretty far uh, out on the curve when it comes to value-based healthcare and value-based agreements, we, start, we still have um, a preponderance of our contracts uh, volume-based. And um, so when you take a step that has you 
basically canceling all elective surgeries and procedures. You're, you're basically taking away the, the, the revenue stream that, that uh, under the current healthcare model keeps the, keeps the boat floating. So it's a dramatic financial impact. Um, I, I don't know, I can't exactly quantify it, but it's an order of magnitude that we've never had to encounter or deal with uh, before. Um, and, um, uh, you know, the federal government through uh, its stimulus package has provided some help and support. We're certainly carefully tracking everything that we can related to revenue deficits and expense increases uh, in the hopes that over time we'll, we'll get additional support. We're obviously having to be rigorous internally around countermeasures that we can take to, to reduce expenses and to match resources to uh, to volume it's uh, but the but the degree is just unprecedented I mean to, we've got a very rigorous productivity system for example that that has allowed us over time to match our staffing and um, uh, other resources to to volume and acuity but when you when you take literally a, a 30 to 40 percent volume drop almost overnight by virtue of canceling a lot of you know elective discretionary cases, that's that's hard to to recalibrate to. So we're we're in progress on that. We're we're trying to identify every possible reasonable financial countermeasure we can, while also knowing that you know we need our people and and we're calling upon them to uh, those who are in the trenches to work as intensively as they ever have. And we've also got to keep an eye on uh, uh, you know the need to ensure that we've got adequate staff, including on the bench and in the pipeline, if and when. More of our more of our staff need, uh, become infected and and become quarantined. So it's a it's a Herculean undertaking when it comes to uh, uh, trying to manage and moderate the financial impact. But I can tell you it is it is big and it's at, at a more at an order of magnitude on a monthly basis that we've never even gotten close to before. Yeah, I can imagine the challenge is not something you've uh, you've ever seen before. Um, Terry, the uh, final question. Um, do you have a view of how this crisis will impact the uh, hospital industry generally? Will it uh, uh, result in uh, you know, more changes and significant changes? And if so, um, how do you how do you see it? You know, it's an interesting question, and 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 one that um, actually I've I've been in several conversations with colleagues and other you know advisors and people who who are who are 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 looking at that. Um, you know, we are largely across this country a fee-for-service-based healthcare system, and so the kind of pain and and, and challenge that I'm describing uh, repeats itself all over the nation. And and I might even argue for this: those that are less uh, sort of value-based than than Cone Health, uh, the, the pain is probably even greater, and the impact impact is probably even harder to deal with. Um, I would speculate if there's sort of a, a silver lining inside this pretty pretty dark cloud that we're all dealing with right now, that this may force us even more toward uh, value-based approaches to care, to really at all cost, uh, re reduce cost, reduce waste, focused on people keeping, keeping people healthy and well and out of the hospital. I think we've learned a lot of new things about what's possible virtually. Um, we've become unconstrained uh, for the most part in terms of providing virtual care, e-visits, assessments, uh, which uh, everyone knows is more cost-effective and more efficient than, than uh, creating infrastructure of, of offices and physical facilities that people have to visit. So I think we'll move more in that direction. 
And I think uh, the, the, the cost pressures are going to be so high on everyone, just exacerbated out of this crisis, that, that uh, those who have not gotten serious about moving toward a more value-based model, which is less reliant upon fee-for-service and more uh, built around incentivizing, uh, keeping people healthy and well and, and, and reducing utilization, I, I think it's going to become even a greater imperative. I think uh, I think well well said, uh, Terry, and uh, great insights. Um, so with that, um, I'd like to thank you for uh, taking uh, valuable time from uh, from the battle, if you will. And uh, we greatly appreciate uh, you uh, your insights. And uh, we wish you the best of luck as you uh, as you continue on and uh, and uh, address what uh, hopefully will be a uh, relatively flat uh, curve that uh, allows your community to. Uh, weather the storm, so to speak. Um, so with that, Terry, uh, thanks so much. Uh, again, very, we are very appreciative of your time. Thank you very much, Karsten. I appreciate it.